dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. In this episode of the Sunday Message Podcast, we begin a new series on becoming a praying church called Praying Together Through. We'll begin this week with a message entitled Division. We examine how Jesus himself prayed for unity in the church. Here's Associate Care Pastor Josh Masters. What a way to start the morning, right? Good morning, Brookwood. Thank you, choir. I am so grateful that you are here this morning. I'm so grateful to be with you. Today we are beginning a brand new series called Praying Together Through. And in these four weeks that are leading up to Easter, we are going to look at what it means to become a praying church. And yes, we must encourage one another in our individual prayer lives, of course, because that's how we become a praying church. But we're going to look specifically at what it means to become a praying church over the next four weeks. And why is that important? Well, when a church begins to commit itself to praying together, always together, continually in one voice, to overcome not only their struggles and their stumbling blocks, but also to align themselves with Christ's purpose, then the Spirit begins to move. And what do you think happens when the Spirit begins to move in a church? What happens next? Revival. Revival. I heard it everywhere. We want to see revival. And every revival is preceded by a movement of prayer among God's people. Every time we've seen it in history and in Scripture, revival is preceded by a movement of prayer by God's people because when the church cries out to God with sincerity and together, then renewal comes into the church and revival comes to the region. So here's our question over the next four weeks, and I ask you right now, do we want to see revival in the upstate? Do we want to see revival in the upstate? Because it will take more energy. Do we want to see revival in the United States? Does the United States need revival and need Jesus Christ right now? Do we want to see revival around the world? It can start in this room. It can start in this room, but we must become a people who pray together. Not just a few of us. Not just those of us on the prayer team. All of us. All of us praying together. We must pray for the church and we must pray for one another. But how do we do that? That's what we're going to learn together over the next four weeks. And we're going to start by looking at the prayer Jesus Christ himself prayed for the church. We're going to be in John 17, so you can go ahead or turn or swipe there in your Bibles, John 17. It's on page 869 if you're using the Bible available here at Brookwood. And as you do that, as you turn there, let me try to give you a sense of how important and the significance of this prayer that we see Jesus pray in this passage. This is the prayer 
that Jesus uses to close out his final teaching with the disciples. This is the same night, likely in the same upper room, that Jesus washed the disciples' feet. This is the same night that Jesus described to them how he was about to leave them and go and prepare a place for them. And this is the same night in the same room where Jesus shared the Last Supper with his disciples. And before they leave the upper room and Jesus takes the disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is where he's arrested, before they leave for the garden, he prays in front of them after the Last Supper. And he prays in one of the most profound passages of Scripture. And honestly, we could spend all four weeks or more on just these 26 verses. So we're not going to have time today to delve into every aspect of this prayer, but we do want to focus on how Christ prays for the church so that we can understand how we need to pray for the church. But before Jesus turns his attention to praying for us in this prayer, he spends time addressing the Father directly. John 17, verse 1. After saying all these things, and that's referring to everything he taught them in the last couple chapters in the upper room, this last night, before and during the Last Supper, Jesus looked up into heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one that you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. Jesus prays in front of the disciples, and he proclaims his submission to the Father, but he also illustrates his unity with the Father because Jesus Christ himself is also God. And he's come to the end of his mission, his mission here on earth anyway. He brought glory to the Father by fulfilling everything required for his sacrifice to bring us eternal life. And now he's ready to submit himself to the cross. Do you see the weight of what's happening here? Verse 6. I have revealed you, or more literally, I have revealed your name to the ones you gave me from this world. They were always yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything I have is a gift from you, for I have passed on to them the message you gave me. They accepted it and know that I came from you, and they believe you sent me. My prayer is not for this world, but for those who you have given to me because they belong to you. Now, in Philippians 2, we don't have time to read all of Philippians 2, but I encourage you to read it on your own this week. In Philippians 2, it says that Jesus laid down his divine privileges so that he could be born a human being. And now here we see Jesus is about to pick those divine privileges back up. He's about to take back his divine privileges. 
And as Christ readies Himself to re-enter His glory, the glory He shared with the Father from the beginning of time, He turns His focus of His prayer off from Himself and onto the church. Now watch this transition in verse 10. In verse 10, it says, All who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me, so they bring me glory. Do you see that transition? The first few verses are about Jesus bringing glory to the Father, and now He's giving the responsibility of giving glory to God to us. Christ is transferring His mission to bring God glory to the church. And He's not just praying for the disciples. He's praying for all believers. Skip down to verse 20 for just a moment. We'll go back up. Verse 20 says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Who's that? Us. Jesus is praying for the church. He's praying for us. And the theme that we're going to see as we continue reading Jesus' prayer, the theme that we're going to see that repeats itself over and over again for the rest of this prayer is unity. Jesus prays for the church to have unity with one another and unity with God. And Acts 2 tells us, again, I encourage you to read Acts 2 this week. Acts 2 tells us that the, the early church had unity. And the early church devoted themselves to four things. The early church was unified in worshiping together, learning God's Word together, fellowship and caring for one another, and for praying together. And you know what happened next? What happened next? Revival. What's that, Richard? The church began, and the church began to grow. Look at this verse. While praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people, each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Revival. Revival came from being completely devoted to the Word and to one another and to praying together. And when they devoted themselves to those things, it was the Lord who added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. Do we want to see our numbers grow, not for the sake of growth, but to see God save more souls? A wave of revival? They were completely unified. Now, do you think the American church is completely unified? No. Now let's be real honest. Do we think there's complete unity in Brookwood Church? No. I think we do an okay job. But there's division. There's division in the American church, division about politics and about how to handle race issues and denominations and selfishness and greed and, and cliques. So in order for revival to come, the church must pray together through division into unity. That's your first feeling. You didn't think we'd get there, did you? That was a long intro. The church must pray together through division into 
unity. Now, don't raise your hands, but I want you to really consider this. Really think about this. Think about the interactions that you've had with others in this church. Think about interactions you've had with people from other churches. Maybe most importantly, think about your interactions with people on social media. How many of us are causing division in the church instead of praying against it? If we want to see revival, if we want to see people come to Jesus Christ, we have to stop putting our opinions over God's purpose for this church. And we need to stop it now. We have to pray for the church to have unity with God and unity with one another and put all the secondary things to the side so that we can fulfill the purpose and the mission that Jesus Christ has for us. So as we walk through the rest of Jesus' prayer, we're going to see four ways that we're going to start praying for unity in the church. My notes actually said that we can start praying for unity in the church, but I'm going to say will. We're, are we going to do this? So number one is this. Pray the Father will bring our church unity through our praise. Pray the Father will bring our church unity in our praise. Jesus began his prayer by praising the Father. In those first nine verses that we just read, Jesus worships the Father. And if you look closely, you'll see that in just those few verses, he makes reference to God's glory and his nature as the one true God, his generosity. He makes reference to his authority and his sovereignty. He makes reference to his ability to give eternal life. We must encounter who God is in our prayers. Before we cry out to God with our needs, we must worship Him as our primary need. Before we cry out to God with our needs, we must worship Him as our primary need. We must recognize and experience who He is. When Jesus taught the disciples how to pray, how did it begin? Our Father, who what? Who art in heaven. Everybody knows it, King James. Our Father. Now, what's the first word? I can't hear you. Have you ever noticed it's plural? We're supposed to pray together. It's not my Father in heaven. It's our Father in heaven praying together. May your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In the opening stanza of what we call the Lord's Prayer, I think probably the passage we're in today should be called the Lord's Prayer, but what we call the Lord's Prayer, that opening stanza is all about God's acceptance of us as His children, His holiness and the holiness of His glory, the sovereignty of His kingdom, and the submission to His authority. And read the Psalms. When David cries out to God in anguish or in need, much of his prayer is not about the problem, but is proclaiming who God is in the problem. Because when we begin to focus on God's identity rather than our problems, it becomes easier to lay those problems at Jesus' feet. 
when you see who God truly is, you are filled with trust in Him and you lay down your need for control. Look at verse 10 again. You have given them to me so they may what? Bring me glory. Our first purpose as a church is to bring glory to Jesus Christ. And yes, we do that how we interact with the world, and we should do that with how we interact with the world. But we will never be able to interact with the world with any sense of sincerity or impact if we're not rooted in the praise and the worship of who God is. Not just with our singing. Singing is important, but that's not the only way to praise God. Instead, praise has to become part of our identity. We have to be so connected to Jesus Christ and so connected to the Father, and we have to be so aware of who He is in comparison to who we are that just praising who He is becomes part of who we are. And every action that we take comes out of that praise. So we pray the Father will bring us unity in our worship and unity in our praise. We also pray the Father will bring our church unity through His protection. Unity through His protection. Let's keep reading. We're in verse 11. Now, I am departing from this world. Remember, this is Jesus praying. I'm departing from this world. They are staying in this world. But I am coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. Jesus asked the Father to give the same spiritual protection to the church that was given to Christ during His mission on earth. And why? So that we could be united, having the same unity that Christ and the Father share. And notice that the title that Jesus is using in verse 11. What does it say? What title is it, someone? What's it say? Holy Father. You know that's the only place that it appears in Scripture? It's the only place he is called Holy Father as a title. Now, of course, holy is all throughout Scripture, and obviously they're used separately, right? Father and holy. But this is the only place where they are combined into one title. Why do you think that is? Jesus calls on both the authority of Father as God and our relationship with Him as our Father as the source in the plan for our protection. Holy Father, protect the church. Verse 12. During my time here, I protected them by the power of the name you gave me. I guarded them so that not one was lost except the one headed for destruction as Scripture foretold. Who's he talking about? Judas. And remember that he's praying this immediately after the Lord's Prayer. So even as he's praying these words, 
Judas is on his way to prepare for Jesus' betrayal. This very moment. Now I am coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word. And the world hates them because they do not belong to this world just as I do not belong to this world. And I'm not asking you to take them out of this world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. Keep them safe from the evil one. What does that sound like? That also sounds like the Lord's Prayer, right? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's how Jesus taught the disciples to pray, and now He is praying that on their behalf. See, Jesus is setting the church apart, and He's asking for spiritual protection from Satan. And we must be set apart. We cannot do the work of the church, and revival will never come if the church looks like the world. And revival will never come through the church if Satan has the same influence on us that he has on the world. So we must pray. We must pray for unity in our praise, and we must pray for God to protect Brookwood Church from the enemy, from Satan. But even as we rely on God to protect us from outside influences, we must also look inward. We must pray for Him to transform us. So we pray the Father will bring our church unity, this one's hard, with His personality through pruning. Mm, I agree. Pray the Father will bring our church unity with His personality through pruning. If Christ lives in us, and He does if we are saved, and if we are to be an instrument of His glory, we must be willing to have Christ prune away the sinful desires that are in our lives. And when He prunes away our sinful desires, He's pruning us to look more like Him so that our personality will be more like Him. Our heart will be more like His. Earlier in the same night, the same evening of teaching with the disciples, Jesus told the disciples this. He said, I am the true grapevine. My Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And He prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more fruit. But you know what's startling about this verse? Take a look at it. You know what's unsettling? There's no option to be left alone. You can't just hang out on the vine. You don't get to just rest on the branch. The two options are to be cut off completely or to be pruned so you create more fruit. Which do you want? Do you want to be cut off or do you want to be pruned? Do you want to see more fruit in your life? It requires being pruned. So Jesus teaches this to them that night and now he prays that same theme in his closing prayer. We're in verse 16. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. 
So make them holy, and most translations use the word sanctify them, sanctify them to make them more like me, like Jesus. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. And then skip down to 19. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. We're pruned and we're made holy by experiencing God's truth. And God's truth is revealed through His Word. Not just reading it, not memorizing it, although those things are good, but we're only changed by experiencing His Word, experiencing the truth. Listen very carefully right now. The difference between reading God's Word and experiencing God's Word is whether or not you're being pruned by God's Word. The difference between reading God's Word and experiencing God's Word is whether or not you are being pruned by God's Word, and it's an ongoing process. Take a look at 2 Timothy. We're going to put it up on the screen. All Scripture is inspired by God. Most translations say God-breathed. And it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us what to do and how to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. Are you willing to pray that this church would be pruned by the Word of God? How many will? And now are you willing to pray that you would be pruned? That can be a difficult thing to pray for, for unity and pruning. But if we're willing to focus on the result, if we're willing to focus on the outcome rather than the process of being pruned, then I think we develop a desire to be refined. We develop a desire to have more fruit. Look what pruning leads to. Verse 21. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me. Did you read that? I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me. Christ is offering us His glory. Unity with the glory of God in our lives every day. And that changes the world. And He continues, may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me, and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want those whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. O righteous Father, the world doesn't know you. 
but I know you. And these disciples know that you sent me. I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. A life of pruning leads to complete unity with Jesus Christ and the Father. It leads to experiencing the perfect glory and the love of God. And some of us have never experienced perfect love. Some of us have never experienced love at all, only broken love or abandoned love. And the life of pruning gives us complete unity with one another, not only with God, but with one another, and being so transformed in our own lives that the world sees Christ in us and then believes who He is. Being pruned prepares us for revival, revival in our homes and in our church and in our community. Because when we as a church become truly unified with Christ through pruning and through prayer, when that happens, we're going to begin to see miracles and salvations come through Brookwood Church that we can't imagine right now. So we also have to pray that we would be mission-focused. Mission-focused. Pray the Father will bring our church unity in His purpose for us. Pray the Father will bring our church unity in His purpose for us. And this one is short and to the point. Unity with Christ will always lead to God revealing His compassion for the lost and the hurting through us. Unity with God and unity with one another always, every time, will lead to God revealing His compassion for the lost through us. Look at verse 21 again, the end of it. So let's read the whole thing for context. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. And then back in verse 18, which we skipped over, it says, Jesus prayed, just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. In this prayer, Jesus is transferring his authority and his mission onto the church so that we are called to continue what he has been doing, to glorify God and bring eternal life to the hurting and the lost and the broken. But we doubt ourselves. We say, God won't use me. And when you say God won't use me, you're saying God won't use Brookwood Church. I'm nothing special. Remember that song you learned when you were a kid? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine.
It's a great song. But you know what's wrong with it? Your light's not little. Your light's not little. When we together are unified in Christ, we are not a little light in a dark world. We're a blinding beacon of hope that darkness hides from. So I return to the question we asked at the beginning of this message. Do we want to see revival? In the upstate, in this country, around the world, I believe that God is preparing Brookwood Church to make an impact for the kingdom in ways that we can't imagine, a wave of revival of souls. Do we want to be part of that? then are we willing to step out in faith and pray for the church in new ways that we've not done together? How many people will pray? Good, we're going to do it right now. We're going to pray together right now, but before you move, let me give you some instructions. We're going to pray together for the unity of the church right now, together in groups, and when I finish these instructions, you're going to stand up, you're going to turn to the people around you, you're going to make groups three, five, Eight, it doesn't matter. Make groups of people. And if you see someone without a group, you pull them into your group. Nobody stands alone during this, okay? And we're going to pray together through these prayer points that we walked through today. We're going to put them up on the screen so that you can see them. We're also going to put them up in the online campus. So if you're at home, you can pray with us out loud through the screen or you can uh, pray with your family. That's okay too. And I know this is uncomfortable for some of us. That's okay. But it's not about doing it right. It's about us together learning how to pray with one another. And if it's a little awkward at first, that's okay. We're all going to do it together. We're all going to grow together. But here's what I want you to understand. You can't do it wrong. If you are participating, you can't do it wrong. Because this is based on the integrity of God's promise, not our ability. So you don't have to worry about doing it wrong. You don't have to say these words exactly right. It doesn't matter. And in your groups, you can't do it wrong. You can either take turns in your group or have one person pray. You can pray one at a time or you can pray all together so it makes this glorious noise for the Lord. You can pray loud or pray quietly or pray silently. And pray whatever language is your first language. Pray in English or Spanish or Portuguese, or sign language, or Klingon, it doesn't matter. Because we're praying to the Father, and we're going to pray together in every language, and He's going to love the sound of it. We're going to pray in Spanish, vamos a orar, juntos en grupos. Or in Portuguese, em grupos. Or for our, our deaf community, we're going to pray together in groups. Let's pray together in every language but in one voice. And when we're done, I will come back and I will close this out and I'm going to give us all a few next steps that we can take throughout this week. Are you ready? Let's stand up, get in your groups, and let's pray. I don't want to interrupt people praying, so if you're still praying, keep praying. But if your group is done praying, look back this way for a few moments. But again, if you're still praying, keep going. I don't want to interrupt that.
But as we close out, I want to take just a few moments to give us some next steps together. And I want to thank you for your willingness to do something new today. If you want to take next steps over the week, here's a few things that you can do. Inside your outline, there is a prayer guide, an extended prayer guide that extends these points that you can pray on your own or with your family or with your community groups this week. I also want to invite you into a group called the Watchers Prayer Team. It's a group that already existed. We started it kind of quietly a couple months ago. And it's a group that is dedicated to praying for Brookwood Church every day, taking just a few moments every day to pray for Brookwood Church. And if you want to join that group, you can go to brookwoodchurch.org prayer and click on the Watchers Prayer Team. brookwoodchurch.org prayer. Join us in praying for Brookwood every day. And finally, I know that there are people in this room who are struggling that you need prayer yourself. We've been praying for Brookwood Church today, but we know that some of you need prayer. Some of you watching at home need prayer. There's going to be a thing in our online campus that pops up if you want to talk to a pastor today. But if you're in this room and you need prayer, maybe you're facing a struggle, or maybe for the first time you realize that Jesus is calling you to a purpose greater than yourself, and you want to acknowledge that Christ is calling you into salvation. We're going to have pastors and care volunteers down front here as well as in the Care Connection Room to pray for your needs in addition to Brookwood Church. Thank you for being here and thank you for praying. We're going to keep praying together. Let's close by using this blessing from Scripture and allow me to bless this group. May God who gives this patience and encouragement help you to live in complete harmony with each other as is fitting for followers of Jesus Christ. Then all of you, all of us, can join together in one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father God, make us holy and make us an instrument of your glory. Go with us now as we go out into the world and may people through us know that Christ was sent by you and may they recognize who you are through us. Amen. Thank you for coming. Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast. Renewal and revival are always preceded by a great movement of prayer among God's people. In this new series, let's encourage one another in our individual prayer lives as we learn to pray together in one voice, seeking God's power in Brookwood Church. In our next episode, we'll continue our series, Praying Together Through. We'll examine how Moses prayed through discouragement. To prepare, read Numbers chapter 11, verses 10 through 25. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts to stay up to date on the Praying Together Through series. And if you like what you've been hearing, leave a review so others can discover how they can have a transformed life in Christ. Thanks for listening and have a great week.